1: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. Do you know about Clark Deals? Clark Deals is our incredibly fast-growing site to ways you can save money day in and day out. Our deal diggers always looking for ways to save you money. And coming up later this hour. How about you making more money? Okay, there's the weirdest way that people are making more money in the United States, and I'm going to fill you in on it in just a little while. There is something that we are failing to do that is costing lives and injuries that never really occurred to me. It's a new study from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, and Americans more and more are riding in Uber cars, Lyft cars, any of a number of ways, we're ending up in the back seat of vehicles. And we ride on shuttle buses, all things like that. And what do we not do? We don't even think about putting on a seatbelt. Now, that's in spite of the fact that front seat drivers and passengers now wear seatbelts 90% of the time so people in the back seat for some reason feel it must not be dangerous cuz there's no requirement you wear seat belts in the back seat of a car or when you're on a shuttle van but did you ever take physics in school you know about momentum your vehicle suddenly stops where do you end up You keep going at the speed the vehicle was going before, and it's ending very, very badly for people in shuttle buses and in the back seats of vehicles, and overwhelmingly, people aren't buckling up in the back. When they don't, they're eight times more likely to end up killed, eight times more likely, so... Generally, I'll tell you what I've been doing when I'm in an Uber or Lyft car. I normally don't put on my seatbelt in the back seat unless the driver turns out to be a lunatic. (laughs) It's true. It's true. If the driver is a little aggressive behind the wheel, I'm slapping on that seatbelt. But now, thanks to this new study, I will tell you, that i am going to be doing so in the back of the vehicle overwhelmingly people surveyed who ride an uber or lyft say they never put on a seat belt in the back seat of an uber or lyft now i'll tell you something about riding uber or lyft though if i can i like to ride in the front seat passenger seat so i can talk to the driver you know i uh, just never can shut up so I want to be social and talking to somebody, but if you do that from the back seat, they're looking back at you from time to time instead of looking in the you know out the window in the front. So that's something that I do in the, in the front now, and I will certainly do all the times I'm in the back. How about you? And on those shuttle buses, they have seat belts there because they were required to use them. Aaron is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: Great, thank you, Aaron. Tell me how I might be of service to you.
2: Well, um, my my husband and I, when we first met, we both were homeowners. Our houses were seven homes apart, um, and you know,
1: wow, is that how you met? I... You met in the neighborhood?
2: Yeah, yeah, in the local barbecue joint. <laughs> how
1: great is that?
2: Yeah, it a lot of, it's, it's been a lot of fun getting to know our neighbors, too. Um, but so shortly before we got married, I moved into his house, and we rented out mine. Um, our rent is approximately $200 a month more than my mortgage payment. But we've had, you know, repairs and all kinds of things that have to get covered. And so we're basically breaking even. Um, the house has gone up in value pretty pretty steadily every year. Um, we live in Colorado, so our, our housing market is nuts. Yeah, and I
1: wouldn't say it's gone up steadily. I'd say it's gone up close to like a rocket.
2: Yeah, it's gone up sharply, but every year it hasn't it hasn't slowed down. So I just didn't know if, it, if we'd be better off selling and banking the equity, or investing the equity, or if we'd be better off holding this rental.
1: Well, the question is, in Colorado, with the uh, job growth and population growth, how long Uh it's going to take for the housing supply to catch up with demand, and there's Uh a shortage of workers, and so Colorado looks uh, It's not going to keep going to the sky like it's been going, and at some point, housing will take a breather, maybe even go through a period of a dip in values, but the economy in Colorado is so strong for a reason you want to live there. Everybody wants to live there, right? Right, right. So the question about selling has more to do with other possibilities. First, how long have you had a tenant in that property?
2: Um, gosh, three and a half years.
1: Okay, so you're past the time where you would have been able to sell that property without having to pay any capital gains tax. So, uh-huh. so your sale will be taxable on the gain uh-huh. you've had and so that is that's one factor that is already taken from the table so then uh-huh. that brings up a second factor do you have an idea how you would invest the money that over the long haul would make you more potential income than you will make from this property
2: I mean, you know, honestly, I I don't have any specific ideas. I do feel like my husband and I are behind the curve on our retirement investing. So just the idea of having some nest egg beyond, you know, my future pension and things like that gives me some comfort, but having rental income would do that too. So I'm having a hard time deciding which would be better.
1: Yeah, because this is almost a uh, lifestyle issue in terms of, do you hate being a landlord? If you despise being a landlord then that's why you'd sell the property because if you're already uh, to a minor degree cash flow positive over the Mm -hmm. years most of your costs involved with owning that as a landlord stay pretty much the same but the Mm -hmm. rents that you earn over time will rise and as home values continue to rise later on when you do decide to bail you'll be able to sell at uh, yet a higher price than what it is now barring some kind of real estate depression at some point in the future but there's nothing that puts that on Colorado's horizon so i come mm-hmm. i come full circle to this question do you just hate being a landlord or not
2: i really don't you know we we were lucky to be very be able to be very picky with our tenants because it's just such a high demand area so You know, we got lots and lots of applicants, and we got to be really, really picky. So it's really been a nice, like, an easy thing for us to pick up.
1: Then I would keep it. Okay, I would keep it. If you had said to me that you had the big run up, it was still going to be a tax free sale, I would say maybe you would want to um, consider dumping it. But you you aligned all the stars just right to keep that property and continue to be a landlord. So that's just what I would do. And, and best to both of you. And you're brilliant or very lucky or both that you ended up in the right place with the right real estate at the right time in Colorado history.
2: That's right.
1: So, best to you. Have a great day.
2: Thanks. Thanks so much.
1: Frances joins us on The Clark Howard Show. Frances, I hope you're having a wonderful day.
2: I am. I am. It's a beautiful day.
1: Frances, how may I serve you today?
2: I had a question I wanted to find out some answers to. I wanted to find out about my ancestors, and I wanted to find out the best possible uh, site to look for.
1: So there's a lot of uh, discussion about how accurate people feel the various mm-hmm. databases are, but the one for finding out ancestors that's most uh, respected probably is Ancestry.com
2: Ancestry.
1: Ancestry.com and the way they make their money is you pay a subscription for access to different levels of information and depending on what subscription you get the more you pay and you'll find I found when I did my Ancestry.com that I had a zillion relatives I'd never heard of and didn't know And it takes you down to, like, fourth cousin level. And then I saw people I did know that were in there. But it is part of the whole process of putting together the puzzle of your family background. And you can go beyond just that. And I have done so with a site called 23andMe, where you can find out, uh, based on DNA analysis, where exactly you're from is best they have been able to analyze your DNA. They're able to tell you what makes up your heritage. Um, ancestry.com does that as well. They, but my numbers for both of those were almost identical in where they said I was from. But 23andMe mm-hmm. goes beyond it another step and will analyze your risk level for various illnesses based on your DNA. And if you want to know, it'll tell you something else. If you have children, it'll tell you what they are at risk from, what illnesses they have heightened risk from for having had you as a mom. My poor kids, I had to tell them what they had risk from because of me. So the information available from these sites is pretty extensive, and where 23andMe is more about health, Ancestry.com is more about your family history.
2: So the prices uh, for both is about the same?
1: No, they, well, it all depends what services you buy from either. And so you uh, you actually spit samples into these tubes, these test tubes. You send them off. They're analyzed. And you get back a report that tells you a whole bunch of stuff that you never would have thought of And it takes about four to six weeks. There are specials offered on these from time to time. But go to both websites and see what you're interested in. I have one question for you. What are the odds that your family background is mysterious enough that you may be shocked at what you find?
0: Hmm. A lot. Ah,
1: then you are going to love it. If you get into it, you might want to do both like I did. And in my case, it cost me $198 to do the test with both. That may be more money than you want to spend, so just do one of them and see what you can find out about yourself. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. And John, you are trying to get a family member to do something or stop doing something they're doing right now. Fill me in on that.
3: Yeah, I'm trying to get my mother to stop paying a local company $650 a year for a preventative maintenance contract on two gas furnaces. And it just seems like an incredible waste of time, given that gas furnaces pretty much last for a year in and year out for years without any problems
1: so let's talk this through is this like with a heating and air conditioning contractor where they come and do maintenance inspection and seasonal uh cutover, or is this just in the event that the furnaces were to croak
3: that it would replace well, it yeah they do they do come they do cut, stop by i was here last year when they stopped by and uh they just kind of uh test the capacitors and make sure the fan belt is okay and even and uh I asked them last year to change the uh the furnace filters and uh thinking that that would come with the uh come with uh, the price and that didn't there was an extra charge for replacing this filter, so basically you got some guy shows up and he just kind of opens the thing up and looks at a couple of things and sends my mother a huge bill
1: okay, the six fifty per unit so the way you decide whether this is wasted money or not is it is right. a good idea twice a year to have those inspections done so yeah. the way you know the 650 is money thrown down a, a toilet or not is whether flush down a toilet would be the right expression whether right. Um, the cost of two service visits is a tiny fraction of the 650 and I would imagine that they are but i think you want to get quotes what does it cost to have an inspection of your furnace and based on that number you would be able to show your mom clear as could be that she should stop paying this 650 fifty dollar annual fee per furnace is it 650 per furnace or for two uh,
3: it's for two furnaces yeah so
1: 325 a furnace you know it's it's weird you may find that that is not an outrageous amount versus two service visits
3: right mm.
1: so that's how you make that decision you know this is not like when somebody asked me if they should have an extended service contract on a flat screen tv or something you know we ex- right, right. We, ex- I, I, we we expect so much from our heating and air conditioning systems that having a a maintenance checkup a couple times a year is actually money well spent because if they are running inefficiently and we don't know it what they can end up costing us in energy bills is such that i'm not going to throw the flag at your mom automatically for paying 650 but if you want some evidence that the 650 is a bad idea see what that service visit would cost times two and then you have your answer
3: yeah they're they're just coming once once a year for the for the deal only
1: so, uh, once a year but just once a year. Oh I bet I bet it once a year you're going to be proven completely right but if your mom is stubborn about this, that's why you yeah. want to run the numbers, see where the numbers uh, come out and if they do come out that this is a waste, it'll be pretty obvious and you'll be able right. to help your mom and your mom always knows best, but in this case you may know better. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you, your wallet, and this segment, your future. This show's devoted to you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. Clark.com slash ask is where you go to ask me a question, but you, know, you can also ask a question of a member of Team Clark. That's a free service of our show for nearly 25 years. At Clark.com, if you move down that main page on the left-hand side, you'll see the number to call and hours available, it's 45 hours every week, to get answers to your questions free off the air. I talked several months ago about what has gone on in the banking business ever since September 11th, that banks in order to protect themselves from a catastrophic attack, ended up setting up a decentralized structure where on September 11th, 01, the banking business and the brokerage business were both nearly 100% within five miles of World Trade Center. Almost every key function and employee was in a five-mile radius. And there was a clear understanding after the September 11th attacks that decentralizing banking and brokerage would be really important, and everybody in the industry has done so. Vanguard has opened up a huge operation in Charlotte as an alternative to their main operation in Pennsylvania. Charles Schwab has opened a big operation in Denver, And I think Phoenix and Indianapolis, where they've fully decentralized away from their San Francisco headquarters. And the banks have very heavily decentralized as well and have heavily focused on Jacksonville, Florida. Now, Jacksonville has ended up being the second biggest banking operation center in the United States. And the reason is that they are able to pay people roughly 30% less than they were being paid in the New York metro area, and the people who take those jobs are thrilled because they pay, even at 30% less, they pay substantially more than the average of a job in Northeast Florida. People can afford to buy a home, which they couldn't in the New York metro area and they have great weather almost all the time. Well, what happened in banking and brokerage is now happening across American industry for a whole nother factor. Americans throughout our nation's history went where the jobs were, the opportunity was. And something changed in the last 20 years. People no longer move opportunity very rarely do they do that anymore the most common reason is dual income households that if you move for one you sacrifice the career of the other and so employers in various places in the country have been begging for workers haven't been able to find who they're looking for workers have not been willing to move to where those opportunities are So there is a pivot happening right now that is key and central in your life. The Wall Street Journal reports that employers seeking workers are now moving job centers to where they know there's a ready supply of workers, and they look for two particular characteristics. They look for people who are looking for a career, who were stuck involuntarily part-time or in dead-end jobs, who have the capabilities to do the jobs they're looking to fill. And they, by the employers starting to migrate instead of the workers, it's creating a win-win for those employers and for the workers they're able to attract. So I want you to know that if you live in an area with a lot of jobs that feel like you're never going anywhere, or they schedule you down, or you know, you're know you never going to get any meaningful pay raises, they don't give you vacation, they don't give you benefits, because of this new movement of employers coming towards you, particularly if you live in an area with a lower cost of living, you need to get out and see what job opportunities may be there for you, There may be some absolutely fantastic ones. How do you find them? Well, when a friend or a work colleague takes a new job they're thrilled with, be nosy, ask the right questions. There may be an opportunity for you there as well. Pete is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How you doing, Pete?
3: I'm good, Clark. How are you today? It's great to talk to you.
1: Well, great to have you here. You are yet another person we're hearing from involving the Sears MasterCard, and there's been a lot of turmoil with Sears as a company, and it seems to also be spinning off into issues involving the Sears MasterCard. Tell me what's going on with yours.
3: Well, I just had a question because I received the notice that my my, uh, credit limit would be lowered, And so I used the card. I went to the grocery store, and I bought 90 cents worth of bananas with the card. But when I went to pay the bill, it said that there had been been an adjustment to my account and that the small balance I had put on the card had been charged off.
1: Oh, there you were trying to keep your card active and available in your credit mix, and they did you a favor that's no favor to you at all.
3: All right, uh, pretty much. I, I assume this means my I, I have not used the card. Is that correct?
1: Exactly. So let me tell you what's going on. There are some issuers of credit cards that if you have a teensy-tiny transaction, their cost of sending you a statement and then processing your payment is a couple of dollars or so. So if you have a balance below whatever that threshold is, they zero it out, and send you no bill and no payment is required. So in your case, it's as if you never bought – what would you buy? You said bananas?
3: Bananas, You yeah.
1: never bought your bananas. You got the good nutrition from them, and they help with leg <laughs> cramps if you're a jogger. But as far as helping with your Sears MasterCard, you haven't done anything yet. So they're going to make you do a bigger transaction. Do it pronto. Like go, go buy gasoline on that card. Do something – with that card that's a transaction that will generate activity in a bill because, you know, your credit score, thirty percent of what makes up your credit score is your available credit and what percent of it you're using. So if they drastically lower that credit limit, that will harm your overall credit score. Gotcha. So you gotta go gotta go shop you can even go shop at Sears. You know, Sears would really like that. Because they're oh, yeah, way I'm short sure of shoppers. The,
3: does this mean does this mean once we're, I'm done with this, I can keep buying bananas every month and they'll keep paying for them for me? Uh,
1: yes, that would mean that, likely. If you go and you buy, uh, go to Trader Joe's, you could buy five bananas every time you go, $0.95. Cents, and you would always <laughs> be getting those Trader Joe's bananas for free. You can't get the organics. They're $0.29 cents each. got to stick with the non-organics at $0.19 cents <laughs> each but yeah okay, you, Clark. keep it active okay i will thank you have a great day all right i want you to too. Uh, thank you i want to say something else about credit utilization because this has been coming up a lot is uh the fact that it's nearly a third of your credit score there are special techniques that i want you to know that you can manipulate your score higher simply by how you handle use of your available credit and i have some strategies for that for you at clark.com carrie is with us on the clark howard show hi carrie
0: hi how How are you you? doing i'm doing doing great well
1: (laughs) we are both doing great today how can i make you even greater today
0: well i have a question um you're always referring to how the Chromebooks are the safest way to do your financial things online. And my question is, I'm currently using my home personal computer to do email financial information, you know, all that stuff to get, I want to get the Chromebook and do all my financial information on that. But do I need to wipe my PC In order to make it safe then to do, you know, internet surfing um, or what do I do with my PC to make it safe since I've already done financial stuff on it and email and web surfing?
1: Right. So that is a great thought and a great idea that if you're willing to to do a full factory reset on your uh, desktop or laptop that you've been using this point, that is not ironclad as a way to protect yourself, but it's enough generally you know you and I are not techies uh, and I know that just saying this to you that just take it back to factory reset you'll be fine there are techies that'll say no 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 somebody could do this that or the other we cannot protect ourselves against every eventuality but I think that's enough somebody would really have to be determined to be zeroing in specifically on you for that not to be enough okay so
0: I would there's no other safe way i can't just delete my accounts on the computer i don't think so i I think
1: you really need to do a factory reset and uh you know there are things a crook could do with what would still reside on your hard drive and all that but but you know we're not trying to prevent someone who is um you know a Defense Department-level encryption specialists from going after stuff on our computer, most of the people engaged in financial identity theft are people that have some level of skill but not deep level of skill. So you take the precautions that are logical and rational, and using the Chromebook for all your financial, and then using your computer that you already have for everything else is the right thing.
0: Okay. Great. Thank you so much. And you I had one you had another question <laughs> for me, didn't you? Yes. Go right ahead, Carrie. I, oh, okay. I have listened to you refer to the college students being able to get, you know, their first credit card when they turn 21 um, and having them as you know, authorized users up to that point to help establish their credit. However, both of my older children that are 20 and 19, they both got a Discover It card um, when they turned 18 and started college. Um,
1: That's fantastic. So they already have established credit through Discover. mm -hmm. They have a credit record. And have have either of them pulled their credit reports yet?
0: I actually start my kids out when they graduate. They get $2,500 in a Roth 401k, and they as their graduation gift and they are very like are very credit
1: savvy Savvy.
0: they both yeah they both have credit karma accounts they both check their credit scores regularly and yeah they've got they've got good credit scores so they're um,
1: set and you said they're 20, 20 and 18 so they 19 20 and 19 oh you had them pretty close <laughs> together there didn't you all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you can have them go ahead, and it would be a good idea, while they're in college, not wait till they're 21. They already have that credit record. Apply for another college student credit card. You know, all the various issuers okay. have college student cards. I'd like for each of them to have two cards as they move okay. through their college career. Then when they graduate, they have uh, deep and full credit records and histories
0: right the older one has a a visa or mastercard in addition to the discover now and she has a car loan so so she's set she doesn't have have to do
1: anything but the 19 year old would be good to get one more item of credit
0: okay the i guess that was my, my question i guess going back to what is the question is you had said the kids have to wait till they're 21 so do they not i mean i didn't know if my kids like got bamboozled by getting them or? well
1: I don't know how <laughs> they I don't know how they got them from Discover at eighteen, but actually in their case is kids that are very good with how they handle money. It's a good thing, mm-hmm. not a bad thing. And I'm glad right. you've been such a good teacher to them about how to handle their money. Thank you very much, Carrie. You're listening to the Clark Howard Show.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
3: I'm doing good. How are you doing, Clark?
1: Great, thank you. You want to talk electric vehicles?
3: Yes, yes.
1: How can I serve I to... you? Because I have six years of experience driving an electric car.
3: All right. I wanted to ask you about your older vehicle, your Nissan Leaf.
1: Oh, my putt mobile right. around town now. <laughs> <laughs> it's Its freeway days seem to be mostly over. It's on a very short leash these days.
3: Yeah, I have a 2015, and I uh, have about 20,000 miles on it, so I'm, mine gets some pretty good good miles, and I've heard you talk about yours, and I was just wondering, uh, when you charge them when they get older like that, does it take the same amount of electricity to charge to get the charge up to the full charge, or do you use less electricity because you're getting l- less mileage?
1: Significantly less electricity. You know, and for people who aren't aware how electric cars work, the battery in them has some amount of time before it starts to degrade. Generally with electric cars, there hasn't been any real problem with batteries degrading. Mine was a very early production model Nissan Leaf when they first came out, and mine has, uh, to some degree, a defective battery pack. In fact, there was a lawsuit about it that I have too many miles and years to be part of, but my battery now is only 70% of what it was originally so when i charge it it only charges up to what would have been uh 70 percent of capacity but the charger thinks it's 100 percent. so on the good side how much it's costing me each time i charge it is down but the range is way down mine can only go somewhere around 55 miles on a charge and yours being a 2015 where they got the battery right Yours is probably going 85 miles on a charge?
3: Yeah, that might be pushing it just a little bit, but it depends on where you drive it. If it's just in the city, you could probably get 85 or 90 easy. But if you get out on the highway at all, it definitely uh, drops it down a little bit.
1: Well, the good news is the new leaf that's coming out is going to be minimum 150 miles of range, supposedly. So a whole different thing. You don't have to worry about the range anxiety you know, so mine is one that is really just for running around town where yours you can actually do a serious lengthy commute in and charge at the other end and it costs like nothing to run.
3: Right, yes. And
1: you know Very the funny nice
3: thing putting any gas in it.
1: Well the funny thing about the Leaf, it's not the most attractive car in the world. It looks a little homely, but it's faster than a lot of people who are driving sports not necessarily sports cars, but sporty cars would be surprised how you can leave them choking on their dust you're listening to the clark howard show i want you to know that i appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast that you had faith in the information and advice you get you want more information from us one of the best ways to get clark smart is with our free newsletters clark daily clark deals and travel escape sign up now You'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. Go to Clark.com newsletters.